Welcome to another episode of the Augmented Podcast. Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. Technology is changing rapidly. What's next in the digital factory? Who is leading the change? What are the key skills to learn? And how to stay up to date on manufacturing and industry 4.0? In episode 64 of the podcast, the topic is marketing mindset in manufacturing. Our guest is Joe Sullivan, host of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast and founder of Gorilla76. In this conversation, we talk about marketing tips for manufacturers, best practices from foundations to demand generation, and distinguishing yourself by consistency, which leads to developing a distinct voice um, that lead to emotional incentive via lead development to the challenge of achieving business outcomes. We cover the role of people and technology jointly in accessing and achieving business goals for manufacturers and we uncover key industry trends. Augmented is a podcast for industrial leaders, process engineers, and shop floor operators, hosted by futurists Tom Kornheim and presented by Tulip, the frontline operations platform. Augmented industrial conversations that matter. Joe, how are you? Doing well. Appreciate you having me on. Well, podcaster to podcaster, it's actually, when journalists do this, I actually generally hate it, but I, I make exceptions for podcasters because we are different animals, right? We are indeed, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> well, you are a, a business owner and you are a podcaster, but you weren't always all of that. Mm -hmm. You did, however, study art and business. Tell me how you got to where you are. So, you know, I've been running this agency now for about 15 years. And I started it with my business partner, John, I mean, very early in my adult life. I was always an art kid growing up. You know, that was, that was my, my superpower was being a creative type. And so, you know, in college, I, I wanted to kind of figure out if I could put that to use somehow. And so I studied visual communications and the art school at Washington University in St. Louis. Got into the business school while I was there and did sort of a dual degree thing with you know, marketing and then visual communications. And my first job out of college was in a marketing agency in St. Louis. It was about a 30-person agency. My business partner, John, and I, we met as interns summer before our senior years and just kind of became friends, started doing some freelance work during those first few first jobs that we each landed. And and then we just started writing a business plan very quickly, essentially. We said, hey, we, we could do this. We love doing this, but we kind of both had dreams of running our own company. And so it took about two years before we, we quit that first job that each of us had and uh, went off on our own. And, you know, we were two guys that were 24 years old. I was living in an apartment with two other guys who were like 700 square feet, paying $200 each a month in rent. And you know, I basically had no responsibilities in my life. Well, that's when you I should start now, companies. Right? <laughs> that's when you should start a company, right? When yes. you can eat noodles and no one, no one's suffering. So, so fast forward, then Gorilla76 yeah. fairly quickly entered into this focus which I guess is what we'll be talking about. Focus is important for anybody, but you, you started discovering something. You had a knack for getting clients in a certain segment, and many of them were in manufacturing or in, I guess, sort of uh, shop floor-based industry. How, how did that happen? Yeah, it's a good question. It happened by chance at first, and then it became a in very intentional decision later. 
you know, early on, I mean, we were taking checks from anybody who'd write us one, frankly, in, in the earliest of days. When There's we, no reason not to. Of, right? of course, exactly. And we, you know, we had to figure out who we were going to be and everything. But it was one job I'll always remember we, we landed and it was like at the moment it felt like we had just won the lottery when it, we, it was a, a general contractor who also had um, like a real estate developer and a, and a home builder under their umbrella. And we had these sort of three companies all together and they hired us to do a pretty large scope of work for what was at the time being for us, it was the the trigger that let us quit our jobs and say, okay, we, we got enough to survive for like three or four months here. And so it was a construction company that led to another construction company, like re- referral. And we kind of quickly discovered we really liked working with what at the time we called blue collar brands. And really what that meant was industrial sector, you know, people who made stuff with their hands. And so we, we kind of sought some of that out. Some of it happened through, you know, like my business partner, John grew up in Granite City, Illinois, which is like across the river in Illinois from St. Louis and, you know, very kind of like blue collar American classic town just kind of naturally through family and friends and stuff, we wound up with other opportunities with companies that we we would consider that blue collar brand type. Somewhere along the way, I don't know exactly when it was, it must've been 10 years ago. We kind of looked around our client portfolio and said, okay, like the companies that we like working with and that we are best at working with and you know, where we see a lot of opportunity, frankly, is, is really in the man- manufacturing sector. You know, it's companies that the business to business companies often somewhere along the supply chain, you know, whether it's an OEM or contract manufacturer or distributor, or whatever it might be, you know, the manufacturing sector is operating like it's 1995 with their marketing approach. They're underserved on that front. They're sales heavy organizations, but there's a lot of opportunity there if we can help shift the mindset about the role marketing should play. So we we just decided to own it and we really we rebranded ourselves in the sense that, you know, not that we changed our company name or anything, but we said we're just going to be the industrial marketing agency as opposed to the current 50% of our clients that fit that mold, we're just going to go all in there and make that our niche and and really it was the probably the tipping point for our company where we went from being kind of a pretend business with <laughs> doing doing anything for anybody to like really finding our niche. And ever since then, you know, the more you niche down, the more you start to recognize patterns and you have conversation after conversation with engineers and technical professionals and you understand what matters to them and what their buyers care about. And so we, we started to develop expertise there. We started hiring people from inside the manufacturing sector to bring some of that experience that we didn't have in our own backgrounds from schooling and jobs and, and everything. And so, yeah, we kind of just never looked back. And I guess here we are now in, in that world. Yeah, and 22-person firm working with uh, sort of, I guess, mid-sized B2B manufacturing. I was curious, one, one thing you said is they are operating these industrial sector firms in marketing as if it was 1995. What's yeah. so bad about 1995 and what's, <laughs> <laughs> what's so different now? Let's see here. Transport myself back to fifth grade or so for me. So a lot of what you see is trade shows, and or at least until a year and a half ago, right? A lot of trade shows, a lot of print materials and print ads, things to support the sales team. Marketing to a lot of manufacturers is an expense. It's just an expense, sort of a necessary evil to make the website look nice and to support the sales team. And it's such an outdated mindset. Like you jump over to SaaS or professional services in some places and 
And it's a completely different mindset. Like marketing is a revenue engine. Marketing is there to help you get in front of the right people and deliver a message and to capture existing demand and generate demand where it doesn't yet exist and open the door to real sales conversations with the right people from the right companies. And then here you are in the manufacturing sector, marketing's there to make brochures and make the website look pretty, right? And so that's been a big part of the challenge over the years. And I'm seeing a lot of change in the last few years in a positive way, but it's, it's a mindset shift about the role marketing actually needs to play inside the organization. I like what you said. So in SaaS, so in software as a service mm -hmm. marketing, which is modern and not 1995, we're talking mm -hmm. the last decade at least, marketing is a revenue engine. Mm -hmm. How do you figure well, I've heard stats like some SaaS companies are out there spending 100% of, of revenue in the early years if they're venture-backed on marketing. Like they are investing in in creating visibility, in delivering a value proposition that they've very diligently researched and know resonates with the people they're trying to reach. They have the software systems in place themselves, probably because they understand software and it's in the value of putting the right software in place to be able to trace revenue all the way through from first touch to purchase order. And so you can start to see the ROI there. So it's it's just a completely different mindset where I, I think in the manufacturing sector, they, you know, a lot of people don't even realize what marketing is capable of doing in this era. That is perhaps true. I'm wondering when you talk to clients like this, do people realize that they actually are behind? Because if you were in a marketing department, I mean, yeah. historically, perhaps not a great thing to come in and, and pitch, <laughs> you know, you're 20 years behind, but maybe they actually kind of know. Most of them are the first ones to say it. They, they say, hey, we, we realize it's time to actually invest in this. And a lot of times it's because they're hitting a wall in some way where it's, you know, we've traditionally operated on our reputation and referrals and trade shows and like that landscape has you know it went away last year and it's looking different right now are you not thinking trade shows are going to come back or, or i mean were they dead before the pandemic in your mind i never like to say something's dead because i think it's always a dramatic statement in most cases but slumbering yeah maybe slumbering right it's a little hibernation for for a year or two i mean i think it's clear if you talk to anybody who you know we're recording this in late September. We sent a couple of people to FabTech last week and you know some of the pictures from the first day were empty rooms, right? There was a lot of activity in some corners of it and the companies who approached it the right way and everything, but it wasn't at all what it was in the past. Will that come back next year and in the future? Because we're still, I mean, we're still right in the middle of this pandemic and people have hesitations with travel for good reason and, and everything, but it's really hard to know where that's going. But at the same time, like when we take a look at some of these companies' budgets, the first time we, we sit down and talk to them and we look at what they're spending on trade shows, we look at what they're spending on print ads and trade journals. And I think about what you could do if you invested this into a demand generation program backed by amazing content, targeting the exact people you're trying to reach from the exact types of companies with messaging that's rooted in the things that you've heard directly from their mouths that they care about. Like... The impact of that versus shipping equipment halfway across the country and spending 200 grand to go to a trade show, it doesn't even compare. <laughs> so yeah, I'm biased, of course, right? I run a digital marketing agency, so I get to see the impact of this kind of investment day in and day out. But it's really hard to look at how you can justify the investment it takes to go do a trade show you know, full scale. 
It's funny you you would say that. I was talking to someone else who's coming on the show later, but a somewhat related topic. She was sort of saying that, you know, in certain sectors, not far from your neck of the woods, actually, it's going to take decades for the small and medium enterprises in the manufacturing sector to fully catch up to digital. Mm. And that wasn't just a conversation about marketing. It was a conversation about operational systems. Mm -hmm. So there is a lag there as well. And it is not as simple as to say, the world has changed, everyone change overnight. It's a process, right? Yeah, yeah, and sometimes it is an uphill battle. I think it takes the right organization. I've heard this given as career advice to marketing people who, like, if you are in an organization where your CEO doesn't believe in marketing, just get the hell out of there because you're not going to change their mindset about it. Right, and you're not going to grow, so it won't be an interesting place to work, right? Yeah. Nothing will change. You, you know, exactly. you, there's nowhere to go. You can't get promoted because, you know, there's like one position to apply for versus, you know, in a growth environment, there's always new things. Yeah, Totally. And I have to put the same filter out. Like when we look at companies to potentially work with as clients of ours, I have to look at, at it through that lens too. I have clients who believe heavily in marketing and they're the most successful ones because that message trickles down through the organization. The ones who look at it as an expense or as just a necessary evil, they're not doing the right things. They're not devoting the resources to it in terms of the time of their people and the spend to really make much impact. So I'm curious to hear what you are learning from your clients and the ecosystem, but I wanted to maybe ask it to you differently. Could we talk about your experience with the Manufacturing Executive Podcast? Mm -hmm. You've been running it since, I guess, a year and Yeah, June change, of 2020, yeah. Right? 66 mm -hmm. episodes, decent traction. But why did you start and what have you learned? Who's on the show? Are these just clients or are they kind of ecosystem people? Do you use it for outreach? What happens when you run a podcast in this space? Yeah, started the podcast, you know, June of 2020, had been thinking about doing it for probably a year prior. I think it was in the year 2019. I wrote just me myself and this is just me, our, our agency, a number of people contribute as well, but to our own content strategy. I wrote 40 some thousand words of content over the course of 2019 just purely teaching industrial marketing. And we've been doing this for years, right? That was probably the, the most I've done in one year. That's almost a business book of just publishing the insights, the things we're learning and, and teaching and providing advice. And what I really wanted to do is say, okay, how do we translate this into, an, into a different medium where maybe we can humanize ourselves a bit more, whether it's audio or video with podcasts. I, I love how you get to see the person behind the company. And so that was sort of my intention was how do I start producing more insights, but in a different medium, it was kind of be, going to be experimental for me. But what I learned very quickly is that the greatest power in podcasting was not going to be me continuing to teach the stuff that I taught, but in a different medium, it was going to be me making connections with other people who I can learn from. It's become market research for me. It's the best market research I've ever done because you know I interview CEOs and presidents and VPs of sales and you know, leaders of manufacturing organizations to hear what's going on for them. And this is the exact type of person that we're trying to reach as customers, right? And that we serve. So I'm hearing from their peers. I'm making connections to people who could be future customers. That's not my objective here is to go in and try to win business. I'd never sell on this podcast, but those people I've connected with, you know, private equity firm owners, who invest in in these types of companies and get to see their perspective on it. I've connected with people and, and interviewed people who are you know running technology companies that serve the manufacturing sector, whether that's software or other services that have a common audience. 
I've interviewed best-selling authors of sales books and and having them apply their insights to the manufacturing sector. And so it's all the connections, the things I have learned there, the research. The last week, we did close a deal with someone who was one of my first 10 podcast guests over a year ago and never set out for that to happen. But she took a job at another company and said, hey, you guys need to talk to this company, Gorilla. And there you go, right? It's provided our content strategy. Like, after I do an interview, I always go back, as you'll probably do with this as well, and you break out some highlight clips and you publish those and that becomes your content on LinkedIn. We put paid budget behind some of that content and actually show that stuff to LinkedIn, show this stuff to people with these job titles from these types of companies in these industries. The amount of value that I get from even one podcast episode is, is immense and we're doing it every week. So I'm a huge advocate. I think it's one of the best decisions we've made as a company, probably the best decision we've made on the marketing front for ourselves. I'm inclined to agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to say, though, that it's a, one of the more heavier lifts that you can do, right? I mean, this is not just buying an ad. Like yep. that's that's the last part of the funnel. The The production side is you are actually starting a media company. And as we famously know, right, I mean, media isn't exactly an efficient engine, right? And then there's nothing really truly efficient about podcasting at this stage. Like there's a plethora of systems. You're actually dealing live with people. You're planning it. It's a grind. It is. No, you're absolutely right. And I think it's it's important to emphasize that. And I kind of fall into the trap of saying, hey, just get started. Just do it. But yeah, to do it, you got to carve out a good chunk of time. Like it is a commitment. If you expect to do it well, I don't think you can plan to publish one podcast episode a month and think you're going to get anywhere in most cases. I mean, at least that's how I feel. But whether it's a podcast or what I was doing prior to this, you know, the year I published all that written content, I mean, I was probably spending 10 hours a week writing. Well, now I'm spending about five or six hours a week planning and recording a podcast episode. And then others on my team, I've got a videographer who breaks this stuff up into small clips and we publish that in various places. But you know, it's probably a similar investment to the amount of, of content we were producing prior, just in a new medium. You know, There are other ways to do it. Webinars, right? Can you launch an episodic webinar series where you've got your SMEs hitting on a different topic every other week or even once a month and you're doing the same thing with that. But whatever your platform is, pick something and do it really well and just create a ton of value for your audience. And a lot of these things have legs. It's not just like a podcast episode goes live and then it dies until the next one comes up the next week. Like you, you repurpose bits and pieces of it. I come back, I use these in sales conversations. You know, I'll say, Hey, you know, I know we talked about this on our call today, six months ago, I reported, recorded a podcast with this guy that I think would be really helpful. Let me send that to you. It kind of touches on what we, we covered in our conversation today. So you find ways to make use of this stuff. So it's evergreen. It's not just something that dies a week later. Maybe I can ask you then, what is the true difference between sort of episodic webinar content and a podcast? So the effort clearly is different because a webinar, you could actually just do at one webinar, but it seems like, you know, in your mind, when you're recommending it to a client, you would say, do a series, like at least do three, because you, you want to kind of get some sort of momentum over time. But is the trust that you get or the effect of that content when you recycle it or try to advertise it or beef it up on LinkedIn or somewhere else to try to reach some people, is the effect similar? Or would you say that they're quite different between kind of what's more branded like a webinar Mm -hmm. and something that is actually, you know, a podcast interview style? So I think probably the biggest difference in, in the medium 
And I know there are plenty of people who do a live podcast, but in most cases, in my case and yours, these are not live events. They're recorded, they're edited down, and then published on some regular cadence, whether it's weekly or every other week or, or whatever. With a webinar, you know, you have a live event, you're interacting with your audience. If you're doing them well, you're probably talking for 20 to 30 minutes and then you've got another 30 to 40 minutes of Q&A where you're actually engaging with people who are potentially in a bicycle or at least trying to learn and could be in a bicycle at some point. And then I think you know the other thing that happens in a webinar is it's a, often a great opportunity to like joint venture with someone where you look at another company as a similar audience and you say let's do this together. I think the commonality is that in both cases the focus, if you're going to do these effectively, needs to be you are focused on creating value for your audience. You're targeting a very specific type of person. You have deep understanding of what they care about in their job, the things they're trying to accomplish, the things they're trying to learn, and you're delivering on that. I think there's a place, there's a time and place for a product-focused webinar, but in most cases, you want to be just creating value purely and saving the, the salesiness for, for later. So I think that's the common thing. Another commonality is in both cases, record the thing and then figure out how do you repurpose bits and pieces of it. We, we'll do that with our clients with the webinars. We'll record the webinar and we'll say, okay, from minute 13 to 16, this part of this conversation between these two SMEs was, was fantastic. Let's break that out and let's distribute that on LinkedIn or even Facebook and let's target these specific types of people or even companies. So there are similarities and differences. I think probably the interactivity of a webinar is probably the biggest difference there. So I think we've established a little bit that marketing is more than just tactics. It's actually a, you know a bit of a mindset as well. With that in mind, what are some of the more specific things that you have learned about the manufacturing industry's challenges from your podcast specifically or from your engagement directly with clients over the last year? What are you being asked to market essentially and what are some of the problems that these firms are facing? Probably the thing I hear the most, which is not a surprise, is, hey, our lead quality is low or the volume's low. You know, we need better or more opportunities coming in the door, even over the last year where you know the manufacturing sector has been doing generally well and companies are growing, you, know, you still have companies that are facing this longer term transition from the things we talked about earlier where, you know, well, we used to just kind of rely on referrals and some of that stuff's dried up and ownership has changed or you know, we would go to this trade show every year and we were kind of reliant on that to come back with opportunities and that show's canceled this year or, or whatever. And so it's usually comes down to how can we fill our pipeline with more and or better opportunities. And that's where that conversation starts about, well, we need to shift our mindset about how we're getting to those people. Marketing needs to play a role in helping you get in front of your ideal customer profile. And those who are actually in a bicycle and looking for a solution right now and vetting companies, we need them to find you and you need to be discoverable by them. But that's probably a very small percentage of your audience. In most cases, probably less than 5% of a company's audience is actually in a bicycle right now. And you can't just go out there and push sales messaging at them because they're not buying, right? I just bought a new car this summer for the first time. And I don't want to admit how many years, a long time. I'm not in buying mode for a car. That message is not going to resonate with me when I'm watching Monday Night Football and a car commercial comes on, right? Like I'm tuned out, whereas six months ago, it's, it's different. So you have to find a way to look at the large percentage of your audience that is 
not in buy mode right now and be able to create some value for them and understand what matters to them in their job, but do it in a way that is is not salesy in nature. And that's how you build brand awareness, how you build trust so that when people enter the buy cycle, you're the first one they think of. So I think this kind of all stems from we need to capture demand where it exists and that satisfies lead generation, right? We need to be in front of people who are buying, but then in the background, you need to be building brand affinity and reputation for the rest of that audience. So a lot of, a lot of these conversations center around these things. It's so interesting for me, at least, you know, now working in a startup environment for a while, it is so like second nature to think about giving away resources and content in order to gain trust as, you know, there's a lot of terms for it in marketing, right? You build up your thought leadership and it's appreciated because you, you now have something to deliver. What is the main kind of objection you would get from your clients, even if they've hired you to do that? What are some of the things that they don't really want to give away that you kind of are struggling with? Because you're sort of thinking, if you give that away, you can have this much bigger bounty later. What are some of the things that manufacturing firms are still struggling with giving away? Yeah, I used to hear that objection a lot more five years ago than I do now. And I'm glad to say that I've seen that change a lot where it was... You know, you need to take what's in the brains of your experts, your engineers, your technical professionals, and you need to create content around that and publish it and give it away for free and and let people consume that content. Ten years ago, I got a lot of pushback. Five years ago, still some, now less so. But when I do hear it, it's this fear that, well... If we give too much away, A, our competitors are going to see it. I wrote an article a couple of years ago called, but I'm afraid our competitors will see it, right? Some of the things that people are afraid of giving away are are, proprietary processes, pricing. I'm pretty bullish about arguing that you should publish your pricing or whatever you're able to say about pricing publicly on your website, no matter what type of company you are. Even if you can't list that something costs $126,499.99, like you can't do that, but you can talk about ranges and pricing. You can talk about total cost of ownership and compare to the alternative. Your audience cares about money, right? You're going to have to have that conversation. So why don't we set expectations accordingly? So it's a lot of that kind of stuff. So much of the buying process is happening before you're ever going to have a sales conversation. That's just the reality. There's enough data out there to support that at this point. Make it easy for your buyers to engage with you and to buy from you. Because if they can't find what they're looking for on your website or with your digital presence, but you, they can with your competitors, who are they going to call first? You know, And there's just so much more to gain by publishing as much as you can than, than be lost. You know, As far as the insights of your team... Yeah. I mean, if you've got some truly proprietary process and you don't want to publish that out there, fine. But can you give a taste of the secret sauce at least and say, hey, let's talk more about this and how it applies to you. Let's have a conversation, but give them enough so that they understand that and they can see your expertise and they trust that you know what you're talking about. I was just reminded in something that you said that the last thing I did before going on this taping was actually sending a request to a company that is in the podcasting space and should be pretty modern. But my experience was a clicking on a contact form and I had, you know, spent a minute filling it out, admittedly not two minutes, which I probably should have done, but I was clicking and I clicked once and nothing happened. I don't know whether I have sent it 10 times to them or I never succeeded, but that in my mind already actually cancels them out because it yeah. means that there's something wrong somewhere and it ain't me because my systems are up to date. So if I'm clicking 10 times, 
there's something wrong. Anyway, what is the role of technology these days? So you've talked about it in terms of kind of marketing technology. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the conversations you're having around a lot of these things, do they circle around technology for manufacturers? Or are you having much more sort of like communication-oriented dialogue with them? Or is it, you know, a little bit of both? I mean, are you involved in trying to recommend them going to new systems? And I mean, because some of this is mindset, mm -hmm. but others require some tools to get it done. Sure. So our sphere of influence within a, a manufacturer's organization is, is pretty much going to be confined to marketing and some sales. And so any conversations we're having about technology decisions are usually in one of three areas. It's going to be CRM, it's going to be marketing automation software, and it's going to be analytics or measurement software. So getting the right tech stack in place from a marketing and sales standpoint is definitely part of the upfront conversation and sort of a foundational thing that we believe in. Outside of that, we're probably not going into too much depth, like you know, operations wise, if that makes sense. Well, is there some tips that you can give away in terms of how you generally recommend people to kind of approach their marketing? I know that we talked uh, earlier a little bit about you had a three-part framework that you think is is pretty useful. I, I just thought if we were going to give one little sort of f final tip to people who are listening who might be in, in the manufacturing space and are kind of thinking of getting into more contemporary marketing efforts, what, what are some of the high-level sort of tips that you would say, you know, like a little three-point plan to kind of wrap your head around this and then and, and start engaging with this type of marketing mindset? Yeah. So the marketing approach that we believe in can be broken down into kind of three steps. The first one is is to focus. The second one is to create. And the third one is to distribute. And so what that means is one, when we're talking about focusing, it's just so important that you you dial in on the right type of person from the right type of company. Understand, yeah, you may serve 10 different industry verticals or types of companies, but where are you going to focus from a marketing standpoint? You got to channel your resources in some way. So Pick a customer segment where you know you can be successful. Understand deeply who the buying process influencers are inside those organizations and what those people care about. What are the common questions they're asking on sales calls? What are the issues that they're experiencing? And we're major advocates of doing customer interviews up front. Talk to 10 customers that represent your ideal customer. Talk to five more that, that you lost deals with that you wish you had won and understand what it is that makes these people tick, what their buying process looks like, what they were looking at, what they care about. That will feed your whole marketing strategy if you start there. Because we tend to make assumptions about what our audience cares about, but the, the insights you will gather from going through that exercise will feed your whole content strategy. We will literally take the words out of our clients' customers' mouths and we will develop their content strategy around that. Say, so we heard this three times from three of these 10 customers. This is clearly important. Who's your subject matter expert? Okay, this person, let's get this guy to do a webinar on this topic or let's develop a written piece of content around this. So on the create side, the the yeah. webinar is sort of right now your go-to thing. It's it's, it's the one easiest. Of it's yeah. one of the best tactics. Yeah, that's exactly right. So focus, we talked about focus, right people from right companies. What do they care about? Create is now let's make stuff. Let's make assets that address all that stuff we learned. Yeah, could be webinar, could be written content, could be podcast. 
could be hiring a videographer to come on site and film your SMEs having conversations all day around you know a set list of topics. There's a lot of ways to do it, but create insights that are not salesy in nature, that are not product focused, but actually address the things they, that these people care about. And then that third prong is, is to distribute. Now you got to go out there. You can't sit back and wait for the search engines to send people to your site. SEO should be part of your strategy but it can't be the whole thing. You've got to go out there and proactively get this content in front of the people that we've identified consistently to capture demand where it exists and to create demand where it doesn't yet. So that when these people enter the buy cycle, you've already been educating them. They're familiar with you. They trust your brand. They're ready to have a sales conversation with you before your competitors. But there's something like counterintuitive there, Joe, because yeah. in the distribute part, I understand that for you, even though you're trying to reach engineers, Mm -hmm. in manufacturing or managers of engineers, you are an advocate of YouTube, LinkedIn, but even Facebook and Instagram as ways to reach mm -hmm. people. How, how come? How does that work? It doesn't matter. Like, I think Facebook's the best example because it's the one that probably makes people kind of go, huh? The, the most often, like, isn't that sort of for me to go look at what my cousin's kid's volleyball game results were or whatever, right? The reality is, I should know the percentage offhand, but a very large percentage of the world has a Facebook account, right? And a, and a large percentage of people are active there. And when you look at the demographics of who's there, whether it's Facebook or somewhere else, like where do they go hang out online? And that's where you need to go. And it doesn't matter if somebody is you know, sitting on the couch at nine o'clock at night watching TV at the end of their day. And they're not in a business mindset. If they're sitting there flipping through Facebook or Instagram and because of their job title and the geography they live in and the industry they're in and the things that they care about, if something crosses their feed that is directly targeted at them, they stop and they look at it. That's what matters. And you don't go to Facebook, you don't go to LinkedIn, you don't go to Instagram with the intention of buying something, nor is that the intended effect when you're an OEM selling a you know $100,000 CNC machine, nobody's going to go on Facebook and buy the machine. But when you're delivering insights that matter to that person in their job as it relates to that sort of equipment, and it's happening time and time and time again, and it creates value for them. It's not just a product pitch. That's how you start to occupy a place in their mind of, of thought leader and expert. And when they enter the buy cycle, you're already kind of top of mind. And so that that's kind of why a channel like YouTube or Facebook or Instagram, it is relevant. And I'm not just talking from what I suspect. I'm talking from the results that actually materialize. That's great. Thanks so much for sharing your insights on the marketing mindset, which I think anybody who's in manufacturing should ponder this because the field is rapidly evolving. So it's not like, well, we're not in 1995, but we're actually in 2005. That doesn't help anybody either, right? You have to be in the month and year that you are operating and where your clients are. And that that's a tall order. So thanks a lot. You bet. Yeah, it was a pleasure being on the show. Thanks for having me. Just listen to episode 64 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim. The topic was marketing mindset in manufacturing, and our guest was Joe Sullivan, host of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast and founder of Gorilla76. In this conversation, we talked about marketing tips for manufacturers, discussed best practices from the foundations to demand generation, and discussed how you can learn marketing tips and that they are not rocket science, but they do take a willingness to commit. 
Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 18, Transforming Foundational Industries, episode 46, Manufacturing Training in Massachusetts, or episode 53, Manufacturing Millennials. Hopefully you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes. If so, do let us know by messaging us because we would like to share your thoughts with other listeners. The Augmented Podcast is created in association with Tulip, the connected frontline operations platform that connects people, machines, devices, and the systems used in a production or logistics process in a physical location. Tulip is democratizing technology and empowering those closest to operations to solve problems. Tulip is also hiring. You can find Tulip at tulip.co. Please share this show with colleagues who care about where industry, and especially where industrial tech, is heading. To find us on social media is easy. We are Augmented Pod on LinkedIn and Twitter, and Augmented Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Augmented. Industrial conversations that matter. See you next time.